This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Welcome to For Real, a bi-weekly nonfiction books podcast that puts the spotlight on books that tell it like it is, or try to. We'll cover new releases, backlist finds, and more. For Real is a Book Riot podcast and is hosted by me, Alice Burton, and fellow rioter Kim Eucara. We're recording this on Friday, March 30th. Hi, Kim. Hello, Alice. How are you? I'm good. I'm getting over the flu, which it seems like most of Chicago has. Uh, I've had it for these past five days. Oh, that is, that's gross. I know, but now out on the other side of it. So life is amazing again. (laughs) How about you? Uh, I'm doing pretty good. I, uh, I had dinner with some high school friends and their children tonight. So, um, so it was really fun. It was good to catch up with them and spend some time with, uh, five, six children under five, uh, which is exciting and was that good? It was fun. It was fun. Yeah, they're good kids. And they're they're all. There's a group of them that are old enough that they can like play and entertain themselves, um, which uh, is kind of a revelation. We've been friends for a long time, and I met them when they were babies, and so it's fun to see them as little tiny, actual humans now. Oh, I mean, yeah, it's good when they get to that uh, appropriate age, I guess, for <laughs> being more like actual. Like you're like, oh, I see the person that you will eventually yes. become. This is great. Exactly. Uh, no, that's awesome. What kind of restaurant did you guys go to? Uh, we just had dinner at one of their houses. So we had pork and potatoes and pie and homemade stuff. Oh, pie is good. Okay. Great job. Um, Indeed, yes. So uh, I thought we could do some follow-up from our yes, please. reads from last week. So I was uh, my current read last time was Political Tribes by Amy Chua, uh, who is the author of Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother. Um, and I think she's also a professor of uh, law at Yale, which I did Mm -hmm. not know, which I think I I probably addressed last time. But Political Tribes was so good. Um, I didn't really know anything about U.S. foreign policy, and it covered like our involvement in Vietnam and Afghanistan and Iraq and uh, something to do with Korea. And uh, I read it like a week ago now, so some stuff is (laughs) funny. But (laughs) nevertheless, um, it also talked about the fractures that we have obviously now following the election, and it just in general made me feel more informed uh, as a person, which was great. And it was really readable. So um, I actually, I really recommend it. So Political Tribes by Amy Chua. Just check it out. Excellent. Cool. Um, And I actually managed to pick up uh, off of the library's new bookshelf, um, Broadband by Claire Evans, uh, which is, I think, a book you recommended as a new book in our very first episode, if I recall correctly. Yeah, totally. Um, But it is a book about uh, the story of the women who made the internet. And it's one of those books that's right in the kind of wheelhouse of like women behind the cool technology and things that we have achieved that we didn't know about already. Um, But this one, I feel like goes a little deeper than some of those other books like Hidden Figures um, and really talks about like why women had these roles that we didn't talk about and didn't know about. Um, And so what it actually meant for the female computers who did a lot of the like long form math that was needed to um, like sort of like the grunt work of doing really complicated math, uh, which is so strange to me um, that that used to be something that we just kind of gave women because it was somehow like boring and basic when like high level algebra is not that at all. Um, but so this gets into why that was and, and connects it to some of those broader things. So, so it's really interesting so far. Um, I've only, I don't think like five chapters in and um, yeah, definitely excited to finish it soon. I think a question you had for me when I was talking about broadband was what the first computer looked yes. like. Did you did you find that out from the book? There there is a tiny picture in the first the chapter when they talk about um, that group of people. I'm trying to open the book and find it because it was it's it doesn't really look like anything. Like it looks like um it's really it's strange looking. It's a lot of gears and like slides and stuff like that. So it's not what I would like look at and be like, oh, obviously that's a computer. But um, yeah, also like enormous. Uh, and big because they needed a lot of room to do all of those little math thingies that it did. I think clearly I like don't understand what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, I think if you ask me like, what do you think a Victorian computer would be like? I'd be like, yeah, gears and slides. So that's, that. that's, yeah, good. pretty much. 
awesome. Yeah. Cool. Excellent follow-up. I'm going to jump in and read our first sponsor. Uh, Our first sponsor is Disarmed by Izzy Izagwe. Uh, And this book is uh, an inspiring memoir that encourages readers to reach their aspirations despite seemingly impossible odds. Uh, The book is a moving story of a young American who volunteered to fight in the Israel Defense Forces. Uh, He lost his arm in combat and then returned to the battlefield as the world's only one-armed special forces sharpshooter, Um, which that is amazing. Um, and so it says, uh, this is a inspiring, powerful, and laugh out loud memoir about, um, defying the odds to return to the battlefield. Um, and so Izzy, the author is a self-conscious teenager who searched for direction, landed him as a volunteer for the IDF and put him on the path that was changed his life. Um, the book is about how we are capable of overcoming problems that life presents to us. Um, and it's also not, uh, just a military story. It's a story for anyone facing life's daily battles. And the message in the book is universal. If a nerd in a one-armed basket case like Izzy can accomplish what he set his mind to, then anyone can become a hero in his or her own life. Um, so that sounds super interesting, I think. Yeah. Um, and, sorry, uh, go on. And just, I want to say thanks for sponsoring our, our episode. Awesome. Um, so awesome. if we uh, kind of switch from there to new books, uh, new releases that are yeah. coming out. Um, my first pick for this episode is And Now We Have Everything on Motherhood Before I Was Ready by Megan O'Connell, which comes out April 10th from Little Brown. And uh, their description is, when Megan O'Connell got accidentally pregnant in her 20s and decided to keep the baby, she realized that the book she needed, a brutally honest, agenda-free reckoning with the emotional and existential impact of motherhood, didn't exist. So she decided to write it herself. Um, I've read about half of this, and it's exactly what she was saying that she needed, right? So it's kind of like this book mm-hmm. where you're you're actually told what what would this be like, you know, if you're like a person who is around our age, right? 20s, 30s, um, who suddenly is is going to have a baby. And what are you dealing with when you're also, you know, wanting to have like your career and trying to figure out like, you know, as a millennial, we're not making as much as our parents and like all of this stuff that like is in the news. Right. And so it's someone actually living that and then writing about it. Um, I really, really like it. Uh, I think that it's, I pretty much would recommend it to anyone. I think it's just an important read. Yeah. I saw Amanda Nelson, the executive editor at Book Riot. She Instagrammed about getting this book in the mail. Um, and I remember thinking, boy, that sounds like a really interesting, the cover is really neat. And I like the title too. The cover is like interestingly stark, Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. where it's just like this like cut out of like a mother and a baby. And yeah, I, yeah. Uh, I really like it. Yeah, I dig it. Sounds like a good one. Um, so my first pick for new books this week is a book that came out on April 3rd. Uh, so what is that? Oh, we're recording on the 30th. So it's coming out pretty soon. Um, and the book is called Inseparable by Yunta Wang. And the subtitle, which is great, uh, is the original Siamese twins and their rendezvous with American history. Uh, and so this is a true story about, uh, twins named Chang and Ang Bunker who were, uh, conjoined at the sternum with a band of cartilage and a fused liver. Uh, and they were born in Siam in 1811 and then were discovered. And that's in air quotes because <laughs> they weren't discovered, they're people. Um, but a, a British merchant, uh, met them in 1824 and then, um, brought them to Boston in 1829 where they became an exhibit at a museum because they were these Siamese twins. Uh, which is, you know, a thing that people had not seen and we were not great people back then. Um, So eventually, though, these two twin brothers um, became savvy showmen. They gained freedom from where they were. And then they traveled around places in rural America until they were rich southern gentry. Uh, They were married and they had children and they owned slaves, which is um, a part of the book description that I thought, boy, that is that is weird. And I really want to understand how that all happened. Um, And so the author is an English professor at the University of California, Santa Barbara. He was born in China and has lived in the United States for some time. Um, And so I just think like that particular perspective of somebody who is, you know, Asian and moved to the United States and is kind of writing about this undiscovered, strange history about people and and, and how we treated them. uh, I think it sounds like it could be pretty interesting, I hope. So um, that is Inseparable by Yunta Wang. That's, uh, yeah, that's fascinating. I remember first hearing about uh, Chang and Aang in uh, high school. and Really? You know, I had never heard of them before. I went through a period where I was reading a lot about sort of like, um, uh, like sideshow history and like that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, if I can 
use that term. I don't even know what's acceptable anymore in that area. But um, I think there's a musical called Sideshow. So I'm just going to go with that. But there, because I was actually really into that musical, there are conjoined twins, um, Daisy and Violet Hilton in it. And so I was reading more about the history of conjoined twins. And then it got into Chang and Aang and like all this stuff. But yeah, I think they married sisters. Like I think yeah. that, that mm-hmm. was there. Okay. And then they have like a million children. I think that, yeah, I think the summary said like multiple, more than 20 grandchildren and or children, grandchildren. Yeah, it was a lot. Gosh. Yeah. So that sounds fascinating. And that's from, uh, it's called Inseparable. Yeah. Great. Yeah. That sounds really good. Um, yeah. Oh, all right. That's my second pick. Um, that's your turn. <laughs> right. So like, oh, I want to read that. Um, so my <laughs> second pick uh, for upcoming releases is You All Grow Up and Leave Me, a memoir of teenage obsession by Piper Weiss. And that is out April 10th from William Morrow. Uh, So their description is a highly unsettling blend of true crime and coming of age memoir. The stranger beside me meets prep that presents an intimate and thought provoking portrait of girlhood within Manhattan's exclusive prep school scene in the early 1990s and a thoughtful meditation on adolescent obsession and the vulnerability of youth. So I am about a third to a halfway through this and it's, really good like I really really love it um I think it's partially her writing style Piper Weiss's really strikes something in me so basically she was 14 years old um and taking tennis lessons from this guy Gary Walensky this is all totally true he's one of New York City's most prestigious private instructors in tennis um he ends up killing himself after a failed attempt to kidnap one of his teenage students um oh my god yeah so then after this authorities find out that he had he was like this frightening child predator and he had built a secret torture chamber uh in this rental he had in the adirondacks and i am not even right i am not even at that point in the book so far it's very much more on the um coming of age memoir side of things like she's met him and she's like taking lessons and it's not her that he tried to kidnap it's more like she knew this person and then he did this thing so she's kind of like in the memoir trying to come to grips with you know having really liked this guy and yeah um, and then having you know, finding out this horrifying thing and it's it's so good uh i really recommend it so anyway it's uh you all grow up and leave me a memoir of teenage obsession by piper weiss and again it's out april 10th oh my gosh that sounds like that would be a on order SVU episode. Like, for sure. I watched a lot of SVU over the summer and it was like not good for my mental health, but that sounds 100% like that was that's an SVU episode right there. And like Olivia Benson is going to like come in and be like, what's going on, you guys? And try to like figure, oh man. <laughs> I bet they've done it somehow because they're in what, like, like 18 seasons now? Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm, almost positive like every piece of that description has been an episode before like I am sure there is a secluded rental in the Adirondacks where there was a torture chamber and I'm sure there was some tennis coach who abused kids and I just don't know if they put them all together yet but good one uh good one gross (laughs) (laughs) we we know what you mean it's oh gosh all right so my final pick for new books this week is called the neuroscientist who lost her mind by barbara k lipsa lipska and that's out april 3rd from hmh um and this book is about a neuroscientist, Barbara Lipska. It's a memoir. Um, and the description is, uh, as a deadly cancer spread inside her brain, uh, Lipska was plunged into madness only to miraculously survive with her memories intact. So um, basically, um, she was diagnosed with cancer. And um, as cancer kind of attacked her frontal lobe, she started to show symptoms that looked like dementia and schizophrenia and sort of had this period of just just madness until they could get the immunotherapy treatment correct. And she kind of came back from that. And, um, but unlike a lot of other memoirs about people who have these like periods of madness for some reason, she remembers the whole thing. And so, um, the book is about her kind of as a neuroscientist writing about the things that she remembers and what her particular experience was that she can articulate and explain. So it's a kind of a two prong, I guess, exploration of, of madness and what that kind of feels like. Um, and uh, a few years ago, I read this book called um, uh, Susanna Callahan, and it was called, uh, man, I got to look it up. Anyway, it's a book um, about a, a woman who's a journalist and she gets a, a, a neuro disease and, and can't remember anything about this period of madness that she has. And so she, the book is a memoir reconstructing that. And I thought it was just fascinating. Um, and so I'm, I'm this one, I don't know, just like 
stories about people losing their minds are like they scare the crap out of me. Um, but I think they're super interesting too. Okay, so my, my is that weird? No, I don't know. my jaw literally dropped part. You couldn't see me, but my jaw literally dropped part way through you giving that description because that's like, can you imagine like, like literally, like well, not literally, but losing your mind and then mm-hmm. coming back and then like remembering that whole incident like that. Oh, I can't imagine. Yeah. Jeez. Yeah. The book I was trying to come up with is Brain on Fire by um, Susanna, Susanna Callahan, which is great also. Um, but the new, that's an older book. Uh, the new book is uh, The Neuroscientist Who Lost Her Mind by Barbara K. Lipska. So there we go. Uh, so after new books, we're going to jump into our weekly theme for the week. Uh, and this is one that I suggested because um, in addition to being someone who loves books, I also watch a ton of television, uh, which is it's kind of shameful, actually, how much TV I manage to watch. Yeah. But <laughs> um, so our theme this week is nonfiction on the small screen, uh, looking at some recent adaptations of nonfiction books that have just kind of started out on TV and streaming services, um, or uh, recent nonfiction that reminds us of some TV shows that are kind of currently on the air. Um, So we're going to talk kind of current and existing TV and books in our first part of this, and then we'll take a break and do a sponsor, and then we'll come back and do um, books that we wish could be television shows, because I often uh, read a book and I think, boy, this would be awesome if I could watch it on television instead, or in addition, I guess. Uh, Yeah, so I can go first if that's cool. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, cool. So the reason I thought of this topic is because there are two uh, shows on TV right now that I know are directly based uh, on nonfiction books. Um, And so the first one, uh, Rise on NBC, is the TV show. And it is based on the book Drama High by Michael Sokolov, um, which is a book that came out in 2013. Uh, And the book is about a... uh, blue-collar Pennsylvania town and a high school there that has a nationally renowned theater program. Um, This is where um, the program is so well-respected and the director, Lou Volpe, is so well-loved that um, when Broadway shows are going to be adapted for high schoolers, this is the high school that kind of does them first and, like, works out the kinks and the bugs and tests out that um, performance so that it can be sent out to other high schools to do. So they were the first high school to perform Spring Spring Awakening um, before it was able to go to other high school theater programs. And so the book is about this high school and the arts and how the arts have a role to play in the lives of all kids, no matter if they're in any kind of, you know, economic situation. Um, And so the TV show is produced by... um, the people who did Friday Night Lights. So that's part of the reason I was really excited about it because I love that show too. Um, so it's kind of like Glee plus Friday Night Lights. Hmm. Um, and the, <laughs> the guy who's playing the the, the head director, Lou Volpe, um, or the character who's based on him is uh, Josh Redner, who played Ted Mosby in How I Met Your Mother. Uh, so like, I can't watch it without thinking like, oh, Ted is a high school theater director now. That's very strange. Um <laughs> But, um, yeah, I watched a couple episodes of the show and like, it's okay so far. Um, I really loved that book though. And so I'm a little disappointed it's not better yet, but I'm hoping that it will, will improve, I guess. Um, well, quick yeah, question, kind of an, uh, if I, if I may, uh, yes, isn't, isn't Glee plus Friday Night Lights kind of like high school musical, if you think about it? Yes, it is. But this is more... I think if you wanted to get High School Musical, you'd have to do Glee plus like Disney Channel because this is much more realistic than High School Musical. Uh, I also love High School Musical, by the way. I like, <laughs> I genuinely love that. Um, <laughs> not ironically at all. Um, a little ironically. This but. is the time of sharing and I appreciate you telling me that. <laughs> yeah, right. That's great. Um, so no, actually, I do not agree that that is High School Musical. I think High School Musical is Glee plus Disney Channel. And this is... Friday Night Lights. It's more. It's more realistic. There's less like breaking into um, like random song. Like the songs they're like ever heard. Like there's there's reasons like reasons and air quotes that they're singing these songs, not just like you know because they wanted to throw in a musical oh, number. Sure, sure. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. So anyway, it's it's inter- it's interesting. Um, one of the things that I I'm curious about as it goes along in the book. Um, the director of Wolpe is, um, he's married for a long time and has a kid, but it, it turns out he's gay and he's been closeted for much of his career. And he comes out as gay late in the career, I believe. Um, 
And that's kind of an important part of his story and an important part of the program. Um, and it doesn't appear to me that the show is going to do that at all. Um, like Ted, not Ted, but Ted is married with children and it doesn't appear that like he's a secret gay at all. Uh, and so I'm a little disappointed that they kind of took that out of it. Um, cause I think that's kind of an important piece of the story, but we'll see. There's, you know, many episodes to go, I guess for the first season anyway. Um, yeah. So the other one I want to just mention really briefly, cause I haven't watched as much of it is, um, the looming tower, which is a new show that's streaming on Hulu. Uh, and it is based on a book called The Looming Tower, Al-Qaeda and the Road to 9-11 by Lawrence Wright. Uh, and this book, uh, The Looming Tower, won the Pulitzer Prize in, uh, I don't remember what year, but it is a, a chunkster of a book looking at, um, yeah, Al-Qaeda and the Road to 9-11, uh, which I have not read yet, but it's on my shelf because I want to. Um, and so, excuse me, the Hulu version is um, kind of just taking on the book and taking on periods leading to... Uh, the 9-11 attacks and kind of what went down in the intelligence community community and the um, kind of mm, butting heads that different organizations were doing and not sharing of information that might have led to that attack not being stopped ahead of time. So, um, yeah, there's an adaptation of that on Hulu right now, which I um, haven't watched as much of, just one episode. But um, and that was kind of an interesting book to adapt. Um, yeah. I guess I don't have as much to say about that one. I mean, that sounds good. So that's that's like a, a drama version of this nonfiction book. Then it's not like a documentary. Yeah, uh-huh. Okay. Yeah, the one of the, yeah, it's a drama. It's a dramatized version. There's a um, like a warning kind of thing at the beginning, saying that they've like fictionalized some things and composite characters and blah blah blah. Which that always makes me a little bit suspicious. So I can't really like vouch for the accuracy of it. Um, Jeff Daniels is in it, playing like one of the lead guys that's having pissing contests with other uh heads of agencies um and he like has like multiple families or something um in the first episode he like has a wife but then he also goes to this other house where he has a mistress and then he goes to another house where he has extra children and another wife or something and i i wasn't paying attention enough to like understand what that was about but um or like if that's accurate and true to the book i have no idea uh, I kind of want to read the book just to find out if that's just the thing that they made up to make like this is more exciting because there's many he's a polygamist or something I don't know oh goodness yeah anyway do you want to go next oh sure um so my uh yeah my picks are all kind of like if you like the show here's some extra reading for you to do cool. like work um no so the first pick is the crown on netflix which i have seen i think two episodes of and it's not that i don't like it i just am very much like a serial hopper so i go to like various mm-hmm shows and watch like the first couple episodes and then they go to another um so if you really love the crown which many of my friends do uh one of the best rated books that i found in my research was elizabeth the queen the life of a modern monarch by sally bedell or bedell smith um it's a new york times bestseller uh it has been called a magisterial biography of queen elizabeth ii so if you really like the crown and you want to get like some straight up more sort of factual stuff and know like what maybe they're adding in like just for fun mm-hmm. um this seems like a, a good read which uh and kim i believe that you have read it i did yes my uh, aversion to giant biographies apparently doesn't apply to biographies of queens uh because i read this one and it is it is enormous it is a big biography um and yeah it's really good um uh, smith is um she's really friendly to her subjects so it's kind of a warm and like kind biography but it, it also like doesn't gloss over some of the like questionable things that have happened during elizabeth's reign and some of the questionable like family dynamics that have been happening between her and her sons and everything like that um so yeah i really liked it it's a it's a good biography definitely um, one to kind of settle into. It's really hefty, but she's been, you know, queen for a really long time. So yeah. Like how, uh, it doesn't matter what 60 years. It's been a long time. Um, a long time anyway. And that's again, Elizabeth, the queen, uh, by Sally, let's say Smith, Sally Smith, um, Sally Bedell Smith. Oh, yeah. Bedell. Fantastic. Thank you. So I think so. The other show, uh, that I have watched four episodes of so it's you could tell i really like it um is it's out of six though in season one because it's a british show uh is the frankenstein chronicles on netflix oh my gosh i really like this show so it's tell, tell me about the show i'm so curious yeah, absolutely so it stars sean bean and he's a bow street runner <laughs> and which if you know they're like the 
the precursor to the police in England. And so it's like uh, 18, let's say 20. Let's just throw that out there. And um, there are all these murders happening of children. So if you can't handle that, do not watch the show. But um, they're kind of like, it seems like the murder is being inspired by the recently published Frankenstein. So Mary Shelley is in it, uh, played by what's her face, who I very much like, who was in Death Comes to Pemberley, which isn't good, but she's good. Um, she's also in the Bletchley Circle. Do you know who I'm talking about? No, I'm going to look it up, though. Okay, great. So her, she plays Mary Shelley. Um, you know, again, Sean Bean is like this sort of like his his wife has died and he's like this grizzled kind of detective guy except again it's like 1820 so if you're really into like grizzled sean bean looking for justice oh gosh you should watch it um so if you want to learn more uh about all of this so i would recommend one uh young romantics which is uh the shelley's byron and other tangled lives by daisy hay and it came out in 2011 uh it tells the story of the interlinked lives of the young english romantic poets from an entirely fresh perspective celebrating their extreme youth and outsized yearning for friendship as well as their individuality and political radicalism uh so this goes a bit more into if you are interested if you're watching the show and you're into kind of the whole circle that shelley had and how she was kind of off with, you know, Byron and Percy Bysshe Shelley uh, doing their young romantics thing. You should read Young Romantics. If you are interested in the part of the show, though, where they are debating the Anatomy Act, which I was very interested in, um, that's a whole... That is a great name for a law, by the way, the Anatomy but, Act. Like, what is that even? Okay, so the other amazing part of the show is that all of this like murder is happening on the heels of the passage of the anatomy act. So there are all of these like really in-depth debates happening in the show about like, you know, does if you're before we only uh, dissected criminals and so thereby, you know, cutting them off from God. So if we then just allow anyone's body up uh, for um, dissection, then aren't we then just basically casting the poor, you know, into hell and just for being poor. And so it's, it's fascinating. So if you are into that, um, there are two books that I'm going to check out because they sound great. One is Death, Dissection, and the Destitute by Rich Richard, Ruth, sorry, Ruth Richardson uh, from University of Chicago Press. It came out in 2001. Um, and it says, in the early 19th century, body snatching was rife because the only corpses available for medical study were those of hanged murderers. Also, I think doctors were allowed 10 bodies a year uh, was their quota. With the Anatomy Act of 1832, however, the bodies of those who died destitute in workhouses were appropriated for dissection. At a time when such a procedure was regarded with fear and revulsion, the Anatomy Act effectively rendered dissection a punishment for poverty. Right. So this is exactly what the show is talking about. So if you want to get more into that... <laughs> Death, Dissection, and the Destitute by Ruth Richardson. Um, and then I want to do a quick mention to a book that came out last October, which also I think uh, it was it's like a top um, – it won some prize for, for like – it was the Penn Award for scientific writing. Um, yeah. Oh, cool. And it's The Butchering Art, Joseph Lister's Quest to Transform the Grisly World of Victorian Medicine by Lindsay Fitzharris. Um, and that's supposed to be excellent. It's gotten really good reviews. Um, but I think it doesn't, it's not exactly as related to the show, but it's kind of, you know, tangentially. So I wanted to just add that in, mm -hmm. but yeah. Good one. So those are all. So according to Wikipedia, um, Ma Mary Shelley is played by Anna Maxwell Martin. Awesome. You sh Yeah. I highly recommend anything except for Death Comes to Pemberley that Anna Maxwell Martin is in. <laughs> she is great. Um, I have two that are kind of like yours, like a, a show that I like and then a book that is kind of related to it that I think is is worth picking up because um, I can talk about books and TV like forever and ever. So this podcast is going to go like nine hours <laughs> long. Just kidding. Um, <laughs> so the first one is a show that I got really obsessed with a couple of years ago that's still on. And it's called Madam Secretary on CBS. Uh, and it's about uh, a woman who is the f uh, female secretary of state who uh, looks very much like Hillary Clinton, but is uh, Tia Leone plays her. So she is channeling Hillary Clinton, although like not uh, not necessarily actually Hillary Clinton, but um, in the show, she is going around the world, being Secretary of State, trying to like, you know, do peace treaties and stuff. And then she's got a husband who's in the, uh, 
he's like a professor of religion, but then he also like gets to be a spy and stuff and there's family things and whatever. Um, but the, the book that he always reminds me of is uh, called The Secretary by Kim Gaddis. And she's a reporter who followed along with Hillary Clinton while she was Secretary of State. And so the book is just like a chronicle of what it was like for Hillary Clinton to be Secretary of State. And it kind of writes about the different initiatives that she had and it writes about the different programs that she tried to start and kind of what it was like for her to take that position after um, losing to Barack Obama in the primary and having him become president and like kind of what it took for her to, to be, to do that kind of role of service. Um, and interestingly, like Clinton is always really popular with people when she is doing work, but not when she's trying to get people to elect her to do a thing. Um, so the, there's a whole section in the book about, remember that meme where she's like wearing sunglasses and like is on yeah. her phone and, um, that so there's parts about that in the book and everything um and so i i every time i watch madam secretary i just think oh i should reread the secretary that's such a good one so uh tv show madam secretary on cbs and book is the secretary by kim goddess um that i think are both good matches uh and then the final one is uh is goofy so there's this new show on abc called deception and it is about a guy who is a world famous magician and then he becomes disgraced because people figure out how he was doing his magic tricks. And it turns out he has a secret twin brother that nobody knew about. And so he and his twin would like do these magic tricks together. But people find out about that and he becomes disgraced and his brother ends up in jail for some reason. Um, he's accused of murder that apparently he didn't commit anyway. And so then this magician, he joined, he partners up with the FBI because um, they apparently need a magician consultant and he thinks the FBI will help his brother get out of jail. So it's really just like silly show about magic and uh, crime solving and about like how magicians trick works and how like criminals are doing that and blah, blah, blah. Uh, it's, I, I actually really like it. It's, kind of, it's pretty funny. Um, Cause I like dumb crime shows like that, man. <laughs> um, that's just like admitting, no, sorry. That... Just admitting all my most embarrassing like things right now. Well, speaking of that, no, that um, when you were talking about, that sounds really good, but when you were talking about disgraced magicians, all I could think about was Joe Bluth and the Alliance of Magicians. Oh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, and now I just really want to rewatch Arrested Development. <laughs> good idea. So anyway, the book that I wanted to mention that has to do with magicians that I love because it is such a delight, is called Fooling Houdini by Alex Stone. Uh, and this book is about magicians, mentalists, math geeks, and the hidden powers of the mind. Uh, and so uh, Alex Stone is a, as a guy that loves magic as a kid. And so he kind of continues it as an adult, but then decides that he needs to give it up because he is going to go and he's doing graduate work, uh, I think, in physics or math. I can't remember. Um, but then he he loves magic. And so he decides that he's going to try and compete in the Magic Olympics, which, uh, side note, like, it is amazing that there are Magic Olympics. Uh, and I really want to go to the Magic <laughs> Olympics, but I think they're in Sweden. So that might not happen. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so he <laughs> so he wants to go to the Magic Olympics. So then the whole book is about him sort of like getting his magic back and talking about the psychology and the science into like how magicians do what they do, um, kind of how they manipulate us into thinking things when they're, they're obviously not true. And then um, kind of goes into the like underground world of magicians and, and what happens in those communities. Um, and it is just like a delightful book. It is really funny and um, there's lots of like science in it, but there's also just lots of really good storytelling. And um, I, I read it quite a few years ago when it first came out and it just like delighted me from the beginning. So um, if you are interested in in magic and stuff like that, Deception on ABC is quite good and funny and, and goofy and Fooling Houdini by Alex Stone is an actually like legitimately excellent read. So there we go. That's my, uh, my, my done talking about TV and books that are, exist right now, I think for the moment. Have you noticed in uh, Minnesota, because this is happening in Chicago, that there is a kind of magic renaissance occurring? I don't know if I've seen anything in particular. Okay, so what is, not to, first of yeah. all, not to tip off where I live, but there is a magic shop real close to where I live, um, which my friends and I were kind of like, it has to be like a front for something. Like, how can a magic shop <laughs> just kind of stay in business? And they're open a lot. Um, so that first of all was weird, but then also there are like legit magic shows now 
happening, um, I think on Halstead Street, which is like a main a main thoroughfare in Chicago. Um, so you, and it's like the window is open, so like you drive by on the bus, and there's like a man in a top hat doing a magic show, and it's just like I remember this being really. I vaguely remember this being popular in like the early '90s, maybe like when people were like magic tricks, yay! Uh, but it it really seems like it's coming around, and I I I might be into it. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I feel like I kind of want to go to a magic show now. I think that sounds like a really good idea. Fantastic. Uh, And on that note, let's talk about our second sponsor uh, for the show. So our sponsor is Bable, which is spelled B-A-S-B-L-E-U. Uh, your source for books and gifts for avid readers. Bob Ludd, named for the witty, insatiably curious members of the 18th Century Literary Society, is a catalog company that sells books and bookish things. They offer an eclectic, hand-picked selection of odd little books and literary gifts personally reviewed by a small team of editors. Founded in 1994 by a book-loving lady who launched her venture from her home, Bob Ludd is a literary boutique, an alternative to big-box booksellers. Bob Ludd offers fun friendly personal recommendations of high quality books and gifts that readers may not discover otherwise order online or request a catalog to be sent to your home and side note my mom gets this catalog and whenever i go home i check it out and i should probably just order it myself because it's real fun um Bob, sorry, I just wanted to throw that in because I genuinely <laughs> really love flipping through their catalog. Bobla features a wide range of nonfiction, including in-depth biographies, curious histories, intriguing trivia, reflections on nature, and more. Find something for everyone from the history buff and the master chef to the know-it-all and the animal lover. And I was looking through their website and they actually have those categories. So like you go to, oh, yeah, cool. you have it like, they have these little curated sections. So you go to like the know-it-all and they have... um. You can buy a book of it's like a spelling bee quiz book. And it's so clever because it's like a scratch and like you write it out and they have it like phonetically. Right. And then you can see if you spelled it right. So it's like you can quiz your. Yeah, it's so awesome. Anyway, um, so they have books like Jefferson's Daughters by Catherine Carrison, an enlightening deep dive into the lives of Thomas Jefferson's daughters, both white and black. Code Girls by Liza Mundy about the American women who secretly deciphered enemy messages during World War II. Kim, did you read Code Girls? I feel like you did. I did. It was real good. Awesome. Bunk by Kevin Young, an intriguing look at the history of hoaxes from P.T. Barnum's humbugs to the fake news of today. And Brawlyology by Marian Rankin, which is my favorite title, A Delightful History of the Umbrella in Life and Literature. Uh, so Bablo carries unique gifts for book-loving souls. And if you go to bablo.com, which is B-A-S-B-L-E-U.com slash for real, there is a special offer for Book Riot listeners. Uh, so check that out. You can also find them on Facebook at Bablo Catalog and Twitter at Bablo Catalog. And we thank them for sponsoring. I'm going to buy that umbrella book like as soon as we get done recording. That sounds so good. <laughs> Brawlyology. Check it out. Excellent. <laughs> All right. So for our next segment, um, we're going to stick with the books and TV theme because I insisted that we do that uh, despite Alice's objections. <laughs> <gasps> I had almost zero objections to that. <laughs> Um, and this time we're going to focus on nonfiction books that we wish would become a TV series or documentary of some kind. Um, so like in our dream world, these, we could watch them on the television or, or somewhere. So do you want to go first or should I? Uh, I think you should. Okay. So I would love to see this book called, uh, The Great Beanie Baby Bubble by Zach Bissonette and, uh, I would love to see this as a TV show. So The Great Beanie Baby Bubble is exactly what you think it is. It is a business uh, research book about beanie babies and why there was a beanie baby bubble and what happened and about Ty Warner, who is the owner of Ty and who invented beanie babies and came up with these like goofy little beanbag animals. Uh, And so is this book just like digging into the whole phenomenon and it kind of goes all over the place. It talks about, um, you know, people who collected them and who thought that uh, their Beanie Baby collections, they were going to be able to sell at some point to fund their kids' college education. Uh, It talks about people who watched the hysteria about it and were sort of trying to figure out what was going on. It kind of explores the market forces that were part of the kind of speculative bubble that made Beanie Babies so expensive. Um, But really, like, the best part of it is that this is a story about Ty Warner, who is just, like, 
a crazy person. Um, he like just, just so bananas. And the the quotes that the reporter gets or the writer gets from people who worked with him and who are friends with him or enemies with him um, are just, they're just incredible. Um, people had like so many strong opinions about this dude and how he operated in the world. Um, and it just is such a strange, weird book. Um, not even strange and weird. Like it's just, it's excellent. It's so fun. Um, and so like in my imagination, this would be like sort of like an eight episode documentary kind of a series or like one of those eight episodes, like those short true crime anthology series that keep popping up. Like, the, you know, they did the one about like OJ Simpson and there was one about the Menendez brothers. Um, oh, yeah. Like they would do something like that with this because um, there's no like murders or anything, but it's it's very strange. And Ty Warner is a very strange, like central character to to make this sort of like series about and I think it'd be so funny to like have episodes just about people collecting beanie babies and like all the crazy stuff people would do to try and get them and like try to save them and preserve them so that they you know would be valuable uh off down the line um so I can see it being this sort of like anthology series just about the 1990s beanie baby bubble and I think that would be like just so weird and awesome to watch you know what I mean do you remember your first Beanie Baby? Uh, yes, I do. It was um, a gorilla. And I do not remember what his name was, but I called him George. And maybe that was his Beanie Baby name. Oh, that's pretty good. Uh, but what I really wanted was Bongo the monkey. But he was not my first Beanie Baby because he was very popular and I didn't get him for some time. I was going to say, if you need a Bongo, Kim, I have one. and I, I do be- have one. I have him now. <laughs> And I, okay. I, I did get him when I was a child, um, but he was not my first Beanie Baby. My first Beanie Baby was uh, this gorilla. So it was like a, it was like uh, a second choice. I guess he's not a monkey; it's an ape. But uh, you know, of that general uh, family. Well, I think what happened was I like wanted the monkey really bad, and my parents were like, "We do not understand this child. Like, what is wrong with you?" <laughs> and then I think to try and make me happy, they got what they thought was the monkey I wanted, but really it was this gorilla. And so I was very disappointed oh. that it wasn't the monkey that I wanted. And it was very dramatic because um, I was oh my gosh, kind of a dramatic like, spoiled child. But <laughs> did you see, did you, have you ever seen Adam's family values? No. Okay. So there's a scene toward, right towards the end where there, this villain is freaking out because, and it, it's all like all of her villainy has gone back to when her parents gave her uh, Malibu Barbie instead of ballerina Barbie. <laughs> and she's so upset about it. And I'm just like picturing that now. You're like, they got me the gorilla. I want it's to go. It's true. That is, yeah, when I become a, a serial killer, that is probably why. Let's mark that down. <laughs> um, so anyway, The Great Beanie Baby Bubble of Zach Bissonette is a great, great book that I think would be an excellent television show. Yeah, that sounds so good. I feel like I can't read that book because I'm still holding on to like 80 Beanie Babies and uh, it would make me finally get rid of my denial and I don't want to do that. No, it made me sad that I had gotten rid of as many of mine as I did because I wanted to like have them back and cuddle them because I was like, I forgot how cute these were. Oh, they're so cute. Um, I'm trying to slowly give them away to my nieces, but uh, it's going again slower than I would hope. Anyway, so (laughs) my choice for books we wish were TV shows is The Scarlet Sisters, Sex, Suffrage, and Scandal in the Gilded Age by Myra McPherson. Uh, This I read this year, I think, and it's about Victoria Woodhull, uh, the first woman to run, uh, well, to be nominated to run for president, and her sister, Tennessee Claflin. So that's the whole sisters part of Scarlet Sisters. They were amazing. They were the first women uh, stockbrokers on Wall Street. They, uh, she, Victoria was the first woman to speak in front of a congressional hearing, I think, or a meeting. It was something with Congress. Anyway, she did a lot of firsts. Um, and her sister, Tennessee, they were both very famous speakers. They were mediums at one point. And I feel like I really, really want like a dramatization version of their lives. Um, Mm-hmm. At one point, they basically so they basically had like a three year period where they did everything. Like they was just like first this, first this, and then like and where they got embroiled in this whole huge. This, the part of scandal is uh, Victoria revealed that this really well known um, pro abolition, seemingly awesome preacher, who also though was calling her like um, uh, very promiscuous, etc. Um, he was having an affair with one of his parishioners and he was married and she published this and it was a huge deal. And this is Harriet Beecher Stowe's brother. Yeah, yeah that's right. Henry Ward Beecher. Harriet Beecher Stowe, also not nice to Victoria Woodhull. Ooh. But anyway, I don't want to get off on that. So 
There's a whole lot there. And eventually <laughs> she and her sister both go to England. They marry like English nobility and then they just live out the rest of their lives in like really, really fancy houses. So yeah, I feel like this is perfect for a miniseries or just a TV show. And I really yeah. want the BBC to do it. Um, I don't know who else would be up for it really that I would respect. I feel like is I feel like maybe Netflix would do it. Oh, that's a okay. I accept that. Yeah, Netflix would probably do a good job. That's a Netflixy like ten episode like series thing. I bet. Okay, Netflix. Yeah, Scarlet Sisters. Please adapt. That's not. Yeah, that sounds awesome. That'd be such a good show. Definitely. Yeah. Oh, what cool people. All right. So anyway, we have many dreams. Someday these things may happen. Probably not, though. Uh, <laughs> finally, we're going to talk about uh, what books we are reading right now. So uh, Alice has a really interesting sounding one. So I'm going to let you go first. Uh, yeah. So right now I'm reading Becoming Ms. Burton by Susan Burton. Uh, the subtitle is From Prison to Recovery to Leading the Fight for Incarcerated Women. Um, I'm not going to lie. I picked this up, first of all, because it was recommended on my uh, library's homepage on their website, but also because she has my last name. Um, so <laughs> well, it said Becoming Miss Burton. And I was like, oh, that's kind of fun. And then I was like, oh, this is actually it's me. It's actually a very important book with a woman doing a lot more with her life than I am. <laughs> um, so Susan Burton, uh, basically her life spiraled when her five-year-old son was the victim of a hit and run. Uh, she turned to drugs. First, she got addicted to cocaine and then crack. Um, she was incarcerated and then in and out of prison for 15 years and was never offered therapy or treatment for her addiction. She founded the organization A New Way of Life which operates five safe homes in Los Angeles that help hundreds of formerly incarcerated women and their children get on the track to education and employment instead of recidivism, which is a word I continually have to look up. And it means the tendency of a convicted criminal to reoffend. So she basically is trying to end the cycle of people going back into prison and give them options, right? Like be like, hey, it's really hard to get a job mm -hmm. when you have to check that box saying, you know, I have been convicted. Yeah. So, um, she has set up this whole system to help women get their lives back together, to get a job, to get an apartment so they can get their children back. And they said that her program in a new way of life, it costs her $16,000 to help like a woman through a year and to like jail them. It costs $60,000. So yeah. And there's wow. just like a whole lot. So I'm really liking it so far. Um, again, it's Becoming Ms. Burton by Susan Burton. Um, really recommend it. Cool. So have you gotten to the part, like, how did she break her own cycle of kind of drugs and being in and out of prison? Like, what is it that clicked it for her? She ended up going into like a private rehab uh, facility. So okay. it, it wasn't like something that was offered by the state. Um, I think she just sort of like found that option or was recommended. Um, I am early on in it. But so okay. mainly I was like stunned by the 16000 versus $60,000 figure. Um, and it just, again, sort of emphasized the fact that our prison system is so desperately broken right now. And mm -hmm. I'm just really happy that people are doing things to try to fix it and to kind of like get the word out that, hey, like here is another way, right? Um, yeah. But I will, uh, I will report back after I have finished it. Excellent. Cool. Um, so the book I am reading right now is kind of a totally different vein, and it's called Where the Water Goes by David Owen. And this is a book about life and death along the Colorado River. So uh, what the book does is um, follows the path of the Colorado River. So David Owen, the author, he's written a bunch of different books, but I've actually, I had not ever heard of him before. So that's kind of an exciting, like, new author for me. Um, so he starts at the, or the top of the Colorado River and either drives or boats or kind of goes through the entire um, length of it, talking about what what this river means to the place that it exists. So uh, it talks about waterways, reservoirs, power plants, farms, RV parks to a spot near the U.S.-Mexico border where the river actually just runs dry. Like it doesn't go into the ocean or a lake or anything. It just stops because there's no water left because um the way that so the what there's a chapter that really fascinated me the first or second one i think is about water rights and so the way that water rights work out in the west is that whoever is first to claim water on the river gets priority to have it so it doesn't matter if you like how big you are or anything like that if there is a water shortage um 
the person who has the oldest claim gets to take all of their water. And if you have a newer claim, you only get to take your water after that person has taken all of theirs. And so like, there's no real rhyme or reason to it other than like, I've been here the longest. And so you can have these cities and towns that essentially, or like farms that have essentially no right to the water that runs through their property because people at other parts of the river have older rights than they do. Um, And so it's this very strange, like, system and there's a whole court system for dealing with water and water rights in that area. But um, the reason the river runs out is because there's more water kind of divvied out or assigned to people in the Colorado River Basin than there is water that regularly flows through the river. And so it actually just like is over promised essentially to people and people overuse it. Um, And so it's a really interesting to me anyway, like look about like the government and nature and all of those kinds of things. So I'm about five chapters into this one right now. And it's just, it's just interesting, like a whole ecosystem and place that I hadn't ever really thought about before. Um, and kind of, I don't know, I like the weird, like legal arguments and stuff that people are having about water rights. Like that's pretty interesting to me, I guess, which makes me a a big nerd, but that's fine. (laughs) No. (laughs) So are they saying that the Colorado River is going to run out or are they saying that it just runs out? Well, I mean, it's replenished, right, by like um, snow and, you know, melt and stuff like that. So it's not like it's going to run out, but like by the time you get to the end, people at the end may not be able to take the water that they're entitled to have or that they're supposed to be able to get because people upstream have sort of too much claimed essentially. Um, So it's, yeah, so people have claims, but these claims are... There, there's more claims on the river than there's actually generally water that flows through it. And then the way that the claims, the order of the claims is based on how, how long you have had it. Um, so like new infrastructure has, has less of a claim on water than like old farm steads or something like that. It's really, it's strange and I'm not explaining it very well. But, so if I were like um, a gold panner in like 1846. Well, that's how it started was people who were panning for gold needed to have a lot of water. And so, because you need a lot of water to actually like even make that happen. And so that's how the claims started was people, you know, came in there like, I need a ton of water for this claim. And so they would go and like claim a section of river, or a volume of water that would be theirs. And then that's how the claim system of water started in the first place. Yeah, I would believe that. Uh, so that is, yeah. uh, what's that called? Again? It's called Where the Water Goes by David right. Owen. Uh, And with that, uh, I think that's the end of episode three. So you can find us on uh, social media. Uh, On Twitter, I am at It's Alice Time, because it is. And you can find Kim at Kim the Dork. Yes, that is me. Uh, And if you have a chance, you can rate and review us on iTunes. Uh, That would be awesome. That is a way that people can find the podcast and we can get new listeners. So if you have a, a second and would like to do that, it would be wonderful. Uh, And so for Book Riot, I'm Alice Burton. And I am Kim Yuka. Thanks for listening.